I was little, I was afraid of the dark. I had to have a nightlight on in my room. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of the shadows in the dark. And my brother didn't help things in him. For a long time, I, he and I shared the same room, and I, I would sleep on the upper bunk, and he would reach up from underneath and bug me from underneath. And so I would often get up and be upset, and one night I got up and having a nightmare, and I jumped off the top bunk onto the floor. So they made me sleep on the bottom bunk instead, and so my brother would hang off the top bunk to bother me underneath. So, no, he never kicked me. So then I moved to a separate room, and my brother made it even worse because I would say when I was scared in the dark, I would, I would get up and I'd go to the bathroom in the dark. I'd be scared even though I had a nightlight. And so I'd go running back from the bathroom through into my bedroom and jump into bed so that I, I would be safe. And my brother said, but jumping into the bed, you're alerting the monsters under the bed that you're in it now. And I was afraid of the closet. I was afraid of the back of the closet. It was so dark in there. There was no light that worked in there. And I was afraid of the dark in the closet. And so when dad would come in to put me to bed, my dad was a strong man. He was a big man. And he, he could scare away any monster. And so I'd say, daddy... Check to see if there's a monster in the closet. And he would go and he'd go up to the closet, he'd sneak up to the closet, and then he'd reach out and he'd open it real quick, going, ah! And then he'd look at me and says, There's no monster in the closet. Will you look again? Make really sure, Daddy, there's no monster in the dark shadows in the closet. And my daddy would look to see and tell me there were no dark shadows. And no monsters in the closet. It's one of the reasons why I love the movie Monster, Inc. Because in that movie, the monsters come to the real world to collect the screams of children. They can power their, their city and their alternate universe with the screams of terrified children. And that was me when I was little. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of the dark in my closet. I was afraid of the dark under the bed. I was afraid of the dark at night. Maybe one of the interesting reasons why I'm fascinated by the dark of space and astronomy because I used to be terrified of the dark. In today's reading from Ephesians, Paul says, For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. It's tempting to read that once you were in the darkness, but now in the Lord you are in the light. But that's not what Paul wrote. Paul wrote that once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Once you were darkness. Well, that's kind of strange. It means that we're not just dwelling in the dark, we're not just residing in the dark, we're not just wandering in the dark a lost and alone and unknowing and unknown. It means that in a real sense, we are the cause of darkness. We are one of the causes of darkness. We are darkness, Paul said. 
It's what the Calvinists call the doctrine of total depravity, the idea that we are left to our own devices, totally lost, totally dead, totally without a spark of the light of God, totally without any of the presence of the light of God's love. The concept of the doctrine of total depravity says that we lack in and of ourselves any bit of that breath of God that God breathed into us. We've sent it away, and we are nothing but darkness. He then says very clearly that we're not left there. Now in the Lord you are light. Now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Live as children of light. We are called to be the children of God. We are called to be the children of light. And if we are God's children, then we are children of the light, Paul says. Not of the darkness, not of the hidden places, not of the fearful places, not of the frightening places, not of the shadows under the bed or in the closet. We are the children of light. Having been found by God, having once been lost, once in darkness, now we are children of light. And indeed, we are light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14. Not just that you are in the light, but you are the light of the world. And Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the light of the world. So if Christ is the light of the world, and we are the children of the light of the world, and we are the light of the world ourselves, if we are light, then we have nothing to fear. Certainly not darkness. Paul writes, live as children of light. That's the hard part right there, is living as children of light. So often we want to live as children of the darkness. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Not bad, wrong, and false. Good, right, and true. And yet so frequently we're doing the opposite. Notice what he says immediately after that. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. I think it's interesting. He says try to find out. Try to discern. Try to comprehend Try to come to understand what is pleasing to the Lord. So often we're interested in what pleases us. We're interested in finding out what's good for us. We're interested in finding out what we want to do. What is pleasing to us is our objective, our agenda. What we understand to be the right thing to do is what we want to do. We have our own agenda, our own plans, our own objectives. We don't spend much time 
trying to find out how to please the Lord. And yet Jesus tells us how to please the Lord. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he begins by quoting the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says that's the core of the entire gospel. That's the core of the law. It's the most important commandment. It's the one upon which all the rest of it is based. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's more important than the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments even. He says they flow from them. All the rest of the laws and the prophets come from this statement. But this is the most important. Love the Lord your God with your entire being, with all that you have and are. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Is loving God enough? No. Is loving neighbor enough? No. Loving the Lord your God with all of your being, and because you love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. That is it. And that is what is pleasing to God. Try to find out what is pleasing to God. Well, Jesus has told us what is pleasing to God. Well, I thought it was a whole bunch of doctrines. We had to be able to affirm the faith of the church in the historic creeds of the church. We have to affirm the articles of religion. We've got to be good Wesleyan and good Methodists. No. We've got to be good Protestants or good Catholics. No. It's not about what you know. Salvation is not determined by an exam that you've got to get an A on, on the doctrines of the church and the particularities of the Christian faith. It's not about head knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. It's not about head knowledge. It's about experience. It's about a way of life, the life of faith, trusting in God, that what Jesus has done for us is enough. And that Jesus' death for us is the sufficient sacrifice to pay for the sins of the whole world. And certainly yours and mine. Something as simple as that. Trusting in Jesus. That we have nothing to fear from God. Trusting in Jesus that we can go from day to day trusting in His love, the relationship is the key. Salvation is not about good works. It's not about knowledge. It's about faith, about living, trusting, faithing in Jesus. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord.
Not your own objectives, not your own agenda, not your own ideas, not your own pet theories and projects, not your own desires and hopes and dreams, but what God considers pleasing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. Well, my friends, that which is done in the dark gets exposed immediately in the light. Fred Phelps, the pastor of Westboro Baptist Church up in Wichita, Kansas, died a couple weeks ago. And he was noted in our culture and society not for proclaiming the love of God, not for proclaiming the forgiveness of God, not for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, but for proclaiming hate, exclusion, rejection, bitterness, judgment, by proclaiming that God hates certain people. That was his message. And what was so bad about him wasn't necessarily the message. It was the fact that the spirit within him was so eaten up with darkness that he couldn't proclaim the light. It was so eaten up with anger and hatred and bitterness and rejection and refusal to forgive and refusal to receive forgiveness that even when he admitted to failure to his own family, they rejected him. They knew no forgiveness either. Because it had not been taught or modeled by him. What he did started in the quiet, hidden, dark, secretly inside of himself, but it quickly became evident to the world for decades that it was darkness that governed him and not light. My brothers and sisters, the world looks at this and thinks this is Christianity. The world looks at this expression of hatred and rejection and bitterness, Neanderthalism, and thinks of it as being the Christian faith. When it's not even close to the message of Jesus, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now before you think I'm just going to pick on Fred Phelps today, I'm not, because we should all be praying for his church and his family and for the repose of his soul. I'm not going to pick on him. I'm going to pick on us. I'm going to pick on the church universal, the church Catholic and the church Protestant, the church Methodist, and yes, maybe even Northgate, and maybe even you and me. Do we try to search out what is pleasing to God? Do we live as children of the light? Or do we allow the darkness to rule us and flow forth from us? Do we allow the fear 
of the future to rule us and flow forth from us? Do we allow the lack of people, the lack of money to flow forth from us? Do we turn inwardly or do we turn outwardly? The United Methodist Church is currently being racked by the scandal of problem of some professors and pastors who have decided to perform gay weddings. Weddings and services of holy union for men couples and women couples, for gays and lesbians who love each other and want to commit their lives to each other and live together in a monogamous relationship and be husband and husband and wife and wife to each other and commit before God their dedication and their love for each other and for the church. And they want to do it and proclaim the blessing of God on them. But the discipline of the United Methodist Church says that neither pastors nor churches may celebrate or host such services of commitment, of marriage, of union. The discipline of the United Methodist Church says pastoral services such as the celebration of weddings for gay couples is forbidden by pastors. In other words, I can't do one. And in churches, meaning this church can't host one. I can bless their car or motorcycle. I can bless their house. I can bless their dog. I can bless them individually. But I can't bless their marriage. That's what the rules say. But there are some pastors and some professors retired and active in the denomination who have decided to violate the rules because they believe the rules are unjust and lacking in the grace of God. And this has resulted in a firestorm and a war behind the scenes and in front of cameras and trials where we have one bishop who's a friend of mine who said that if, we had, if he had 100 pastors violate the discipline on that one point, there would be 100 trials in his conference and 100 defrockings where pastors are stripped of their orders for breaking the discipline in that respect. And I was quite frankly shocked because it's one little rule, but there are lots of little rules in the Book of Discipline. Did you know that I could be defrocked right now? Charges could be filed against me and I could be defrocked right now for some of the things that I've either done or not done in my ministry here. I'll give you one. According to the Book of Discipline, paragraph 228.2b1, paragraph 2, and you're going to get a test on this, paragraph 228.2b1, says that I have to examine the giving of every single member of this church. Determine whether or not you are keeping your vows to give. And if you haven't, 
And if you refuse to respond to me, I'm to take your names to the church council and present them to the church council so they can go and talk to you about how you're not giving the way you've committed to give. Because I don't do that, charges could be brought up against me. And I could be defrocked for doing that or not doing that as the case may be. Now you may be sitting there just stunned. Aren't you glad I haven't done that? But just as much as Dr. Bill McIlvaney, a dear, dear friend of mine, member of the North Texas Conference, retired president of St. Paul's School of Theology, retired professor at Perkins School of Theology who's done a gay wedding back at the beginning of March, now charges are, or complaint has been filed against him. He can be defrocked for having done that. I haven't done that, but I could be defrocked for this. All it takes is somebody filing a charge against me. And I'm guilty. There are 25, I got a print up here, of 25 different violations that pastors and members of churches can commit that could get pastors defrocked and members of churches written out of the membership for either doing or not doing. Did you know that it's a chargeable offense to not come to church? Uh-huh. If you don't come to church, if you fail to come to church, if you repeatedly refuse to attend worship, you're in violation of the book of discipline and your vows of membership. And for that, you could be removed from the membership of the church. Huh? Yeah, that's just another one of them. There are lots of these, friends, more than 25, that pastors and members of churches violate constantly. And yet the church is willing to spend not just hundreds and not just thousands, but hundreds of thousands of dollars per trial to defrock pastors for doing these kinds of weddings or even just spank them because the, there is no written penalty. There is no mandatory penalty for this. You don't have to be defrocked if you're found guilty of any of these. You can, you can be told you are naughty and you have 90 days suspension effective back 90 days ago when you were first suspended. Now go back to work. But there are people in the church who refuse to accept the integrity of the other side in this argument. And it's true on both sides. The name calling, the anger, the hatred has gotten disgusting. On the North Texas Conference clergy discussion thread on Facebook, the fighting and the words and the bitterness has gotten horrible. So much so that I wanted to say, okay, everybody out of the pool. And the world is seeing this. And we wonder why the world finds us irrelevant. Because we're so inwardly focused on such tiny issues. And ignoring the call. Ignoring the commandment to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. We're focusing on ourselves and not 
upon the calling that God has for us. And what might that be? What might we do since we are children of light, since we are children who live in the light, since we are the children of light, since we are the light of the world, Jesus shines through us so that others might know the good news of the love of God. What are we to do? Sleeper, awake. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Sleeper, awake. Are you sleeping? One day I was preaching at Cockrell Hill United Methodist Church. This is about 22 years ago. I was preaching at Cockrell Hill United Methodist Church. And I looked over in the corner and one of the dear saints in the congregation sitting up in the choir was sleeping. He'd fallen asleep. Now, he wasn't snoring, so you couldn't hear it, but his head was, you know, and it was kind of lolling to the side, and his wife sitting next, Virginia sitting there going, oh my goodness, Sam's asleep. So she's starting, getting ready to elbow him, and I see it, and I go, and I walked right up to him very quietly, because they didn't get down out of the chancel area, they stayed up there. And I walked up to him, and I got really close, and I reached out my finger, and I touched his nose. And he goes, huh? And I said, good morning. <laughs> He says, well, good morning, preacher. <laughs> are we sleeping? I think we are. The denomination is sleeping. The, let's, let's start at the beginning. The whole church universal is sleeping. Why? Because there are so many people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, who need to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, who need to hear and experience the love of God. There are so many people that we need to reach with the good news of Jesus. Rather than fighting amongst ourselves over issues that more appropriately belong to God. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by keeping the works of the law. Be those works the Ten Commandments or church rules and regulations on many issues. The whole church is sleeping. The denomination is sleeping. We're dealing with these issues and ignoring the call to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and reach out to the lost and treat the aliens among you with honor and dignity. Well, they ought, they ought not be here. They ought to have their papers. I agree they ought to have their papers, but we're still called to treat them with honor and dignity because they are fellow human beings. And the scripture is clear that the alien in your midst is not to be abused, but fed and brought in to the community. Oh, my brothers and sisters, the church is majoring on the minors. It's focusing in on the irrelevancies and turning the world away. We have turned away several generations because of our focus on ourselves, our focus on money, our focus on our own beliefs and desires, our focus on our own agenda rather than on the agenda of Jesus. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. We need to wake up. Northgate needs to wake up.
We live in an area where there is a rather significant percentage of people, better than 30% of the population, that does not go to church, synagogue, or mosque. You may say, well, there's this great big mosque over here. Great. Well, yes, there is, but put all them aside. Put all the other church-going folk aside. 30% of our demographic area does not go anywhere on Sunday. Some of them may claim to be members of churches, but they don't go. Over 30% of the people you meet out there go nowhere, worship nowhere, are part of no church anywhere. And we are called not to be sleeping, not to be dreaming, not to be dead, not to be focused on ourselves, but focusing on proclaiming the good news through word and deed. Well, we give food, we give clothing. Yes, we do. Good. We need to be doing more. We need to be out there meeting people and asking them, do you go to church somewhere? Well, if you don't, why don't you come to Northgate? We're good loving people. We love to eat. We love to laugh and have fun. You don't have to dress up to come here. You just come be with us. How many of us in the past month have invited anybody, just one person, to church? Now, some of you will say you have. Thank you. Excellent. My brothers and sisters, in truth, we hesitate. In truth, even if we've done it, we could do it more. In truth, we are focusing on the wrong things. We are sleeping as a denomination. We are sleeping as a church. We need to be about proclaiming the gospel. We need to be about trying to discern, to understand, to accept what pleases God, what pleases the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sleeper, awake, and live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In your presence, been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of Northgate United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at Northgate United Methodist Church, 3700 West Northgate Drive, Irving, Texas, 75062. This program was produced by Dr. Gregory Neal.